joined on this episode by Steve Gray, a, a retail uh, and FMCG expert who's been a leading in, innovator in, in customer loyalty, CRM, data analytics, personalization in that space for, for, for quite some time. And he's worked with some of the world's biggest and, and most well-known brands uh, to help him in those areas. So we had to get an opportunity to, to really drill into the mind of someone of Steve's expertise. And, and it's great that he was able to open up his thoughts on all things retail and branding in 2020 and beyond. So we dig into Steve's past as MD of Dunhumby uh, and, and really world-changing work with the Tesco Club Card, as well as some of the other loyalty programs that have rolled out across the globe and, and, and the, the, the differences he's seeing between then and now and where he thinks it might go. Steve also gives us a great overview of, on his thoughts of just the state of the retail sector as a whole, how COVID-19 is, is really changing the game forever and accelerating some of the things that had to happen uh, in the retail space. Uh, he also helps us kind of have a look at the things that brands really need to be able to progress and do in the new world we find ourselves um, embracing technology and, and putting data, customer data at the paramount um, to that. But really a renewed push on putting the customer at the centre of everything. So great to chat with Steve. Um, really excited to have him on the Art Conversation podcast. I'm really interested in some of the projects that you guys have been working on. And I know there'll be some commercial sensitivity, so don't give anything away mm-hmm. that you're not allowed to. But do you, to, this was a two-part. Do, do you think people like me, the average consumer, understand how hard it is to be a retailer at the moment? Um, I think we assume everything should be as cheap as possible and available. Um, and that's been in stark contrast the last few weeks. But also, what are retailers doing to innovate and, and do things differently that perhaps we aren't aware of or are so aware of we're not aware that it's changed or just some of the interesting stuff that's happening in and around retail at the moment that you're you're seeing and, and are involved in i i, I guess one that's that's this freshest in, in my mind is um you know most recently working with a a global fashion retailer you know that retail business operates across 40 40 countries um it's got sales of over a over a billion um and it's you know it was going through a a restructuring to make itself sort of fitter for the future um and you know making making good progress and then <laughs> and then corona kind of hit um and um so you know f- so it's in the fashion space and you know fashion is definitely one of those one of those sectors that's really really been been hit hard uh, mm. because um you know, all over Europe, the shops are shut, um, which only leaves your website. And you know, you clearly can't. You can't. And 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 people need far fewer clothes if they're not going out. So, um, you know, fashion's really, really been uh, been hit, hit hard. You know, and obviously, by contrast, supermarkets have have got the other problem, which is they've got a huge increase in demand. Um, and I think you know, in the early days, a lot of people thought there was. You know, big panic buying taking place, and there probably was a small element of that. But but the much bigger issue is the fact that people who used to get fed at uh, in shops and offices, um, and in pubs and restaurants, are now having to get fed at home, and so you know, clearly they're having to go to supermarkets to buy more food. Um, so I I think the you know the demand on the supermarkets is gonna you know is gonna be sustained for as long as the lockdowns in place. Um, and you know, 
so that you know their, their issue is is how to how to how to manage exceptionally increased demand whereas you know certain sectors fashion being you know one of the obvious ones obviously anybody in the travel business is, is clearly in a really difficult situation um, are um, you know having to cope with having no demand or or, or much much reduced and, yeah. Um, yeah that was, that was so so fashion is 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 definitely a, a tough 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 space yeah. uh, but you know having said that we we uh, up and so up, up until the stores uh, being being closed we were working on some really interesting stuff so um, looking at so that, you know, that Rita had a had a loyalty program that, that covered 80% of its sales it had about seven and a half million people in in the loyalty program so it was materially important to its whole operation um, you know a large it was the, the loyalty program the customer database was was far and away the biggest traffic driver to the e-com site and you know e-com was about a third, a third of the business so Right. Uh, re really important and we were helping with uh, understanding customers through through data science uh, developing the strategies for different segments um, deploying new technologies for for CRM and for customer experience management um, deploying new tools for, for data science so it's yeah, it was really quite a quite a big um, quite a big project. Yeah, and it, and it sounds like it certainly feels like to me a, a business that's done that, a brand that's done that, has a far better chance of ramping up quickly again once this thing's over because they are they've realised they need to get closer to the customer, but more importantly, have the tooling in place to make that real. Because it's one thing saying I want to be closer to my customer, actually understanding and and doing something about it are two different things. Um, these guys sound like they knew that and were well on the journey to get closer to their customers so that they could I think, so. I mean, yeah, I think you know when when the rebound starts those those businesses that know who their customers are are definitely going to be in a you know a stronger position than, than those who've just got to reboot their marketing um along with every other com uh, every other company and kind of compete for for customers um in a um you know, everyone's going to be trying to buy the media, media at the same time. So it's going to get really, really tough to, um, you know, to restart. Whereas if you've, if you've got a, and, and have already invested in a customer database, then, um, you know, you're, you're clearly in a, in a much better situation than, than you would have been without it. Who, who, do you want to name drop some of the brands you think have, have done this well? And then I'll ask you to name some of the, the brands that you think will struggle, but <laughs> because I like to cause trouble. But I've had a real bee in my bonnet about Sports Direct forever, but the last few weeks especially. But um, who, who are the, the brands out there that you, maybe on a personal level, not just on a business level, that you think are, are doing the right things? Um, not just for this, but have been doing the right things in terms of customer data and customer relationships. Yeah, it's a good question. I haven't really, I haven't really sort of thought of it like that. So... Uh... On the spot. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I, you know, in supermarkets, I, I always tend to look, you know, look first to Tesco because I think they are the, are the, are the company that have mm. uh, you know, really invested over many well decades now in in loyalty and, and CRM, and I think they've, you know, they've had a good a good a good crisis if uh, 
if there is such a thing in, in the way that they, they've yeah. been seen to manage that. You know, John, John Lewis is also another one that you typically look to, but they are themselves in such, you know, they're then a really, really tough situation and, and going through a major restructuring. Mm. Uh, it's, at the moment, it's, it's difficult to look to any retail. I mean, I guess the retailers that are, that you, you, you know, the ones that are thriving, um, and there are, you know, some of, are, are those in home delivery, um, pure play home delivery. So, you know, Naked Wines is a good example there, of, you know, home delivered wine. Uh, you know, that business separated out of Majestic Wine uh, just under, under, under a year ago. And a lot of people thought, well, that was really strange that, uh, you know, why would they sell, why would they sell the, you know, the Majestic Wine store business in favor of this sort of relatively small home delivered business. But, you know, now, now it's, it's the home delivered wine business that's really, really thriving. And, um, uh, you know, I think anybody who's in home delivered food is gonna, you know, is not just gonna get the short term benefit of the current crisis, but I think that will ingrain many habits in, in, with customers who will continue to um, shop with them, you know, once, once the recovery is underway. Yeah, um, but, for, but for anybody who's not in, you know, any, anybody with a, with a lot of shops and anybody who's 100% reliant on shops, yeah, they are in real, real trouble. Um, you know, yeah. Debenhams were in, went into administration last week and, um, you know, I, I would say that they're definitely not going to be the last. Mm. And, and has, I've got a feeling with Debenhams, I actually like Debenhams, I've always been a reasonably big fan of Debenhams and I think that's just because it's the convenience of it all in one place um, but has COVID-19 just accelerated the inevitable for them or were they going to trade their way out of it and this I, I think they're in, in difficulty anyway and I think you know department stores generally are not in a good place and I mean I think I think you know retailers we're going to see a lot a lot of restructuring and um you know those people with well-developed e-com channels are the ones that are going to going to do well. Uh, you know, you mentioned Next earlier. I mean, I think Next is 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 a fantastically well-managed business. That you know they they have modelled that you know they know that they can survive um, even if all the business goes to uh, 100% online. That you know they've got a really big online um, business. They've you know they they've um, they've done really well by adding in in partner brands. Um, they've got a huge click and collect business, and yeah. you know, they've still, you know, they've still got a lot of a lot of store traffic. But if if the store traffic, you know, really really declined, they they would still be, they would still be okay. But yeah, you know, I'm pretty certain you can't say the same thing about uh, Marks and Spencers, or you can't say the same thing about um, I don't know, you know, half half a dozen other uh, big high street yeah. uh, retailers. It's quite scary to think about when you actually do take that moment to say who are all the retailers you know that, that five years ago you could have, you wouldn't have walked down the street without seeing their logo on a building somewhere that actually in five years' time might not exist at all um, it, it's it's mad um, perhaps we've taken some of them for granted that they'd always be there i still i know in Coventry I still call a building that is now Primark used to be CNA. And I still call it the CNA building, right? Um, because it always will be for me. That was what was yeah. always there when I was younger, yeah. growing up. And CNA, they disappeared. What, fifteen years ago? 10, 15 years ago? But probably longer. Actually, they're still quite big in Germany. They uh, are, aren't they? That's true. Yeah, um, yeah. 
and uh, Holland, I think, also. But um, yeah, I, don't, I think they've probably been out in the UK for at least 20 years. Yeah, well, that shows how old I'm getting, doesn't it? Um, I can't even remember. The, but then you've got your mother care. So we, you know, we've got young kids. You know, we used to go, well, we used to go to mother care to work out what we wanted to buy and then go online and find it cheaper. Um, so we probably were one of the reasons why mother care went under in the end. But uh, Toys R Us, another one. I'm thinking of all the ones that are relevant to me here. But it's really scary to think about just how drastic the retail landscape is changing, has changed, and that this COVID-19 will accelerate. Yeah, it is. It is going to be. It's it's like a pressure. You know, it's it's a, a pressure cooker that is going to speed up um, things that were already in place. Yeah, yeah. And so you talked about next. Who who else do you think is going to weather the storm and come out thriving? Someone's got to win in this, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Home home, home delivered businesses for sure would be yeah. uh, you're looking at. I mean, actually, you know, you mentioned sport. I mean, sports. The Sports Direct Group, which is now now renamed Fraser's, because they includes the House of Fraser business. Of course, yeah. Um, and I mean, actually, they are in quite good shape. Um, and um, you know, Mike Ashley's. I'm, I'm a Newcastle fan, so he, you know, he he is he's not my, my most favourite person, but um, uh, I, th- I think his his businesses are probably in quite good shape at the moment. Um, yeah. Don't, don't have it. They don't have the debt that a lot of companies have. It's a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And I, I was I was being tongue in cheek earlier, but I, I, someone else I know describes sports directors as a vampire brand because they exist purely to suck profit out of customers, shareholders, employees. And their sole reason to exist is to make money. Um, and in in twenty twenty, should there not be a higher purpose than profit making? Um, and you can argue, yes, but my pushback to that was in this day and age, now, right now, if you tweaked profit or cost to survival at all costs and they did exactly the same thing, we'd be applauding them for their business model. So it's, it's a really tough call. Um, I think it, uh, half of Sports Direct's problem is probably Mike Cashley himself and, and his own reputation and personal brand, especially if you're a Newcastle fan. Um, I'm a Coventry City fan, so I haven't had to worry about buying multi-million pound players for a long long time um i think some of the specialists you know i think some of the specialists uh i think pets at home you know pets at home are in a good place they you know that's a, a well-run business uh they've got a good loyalty program actually we worked on on, on that and, and uh helped uh, design that uh, that loyalty program they've got a good online business the you know pets uh, selling pet food is being designated something that's kind of needed, so their stores are are open. Um, uh, you know, they they are far and away the biggest purchase um, mm. pet retailer. Um, they've, you know, in addition to selling pet food and all the things you need, you know, for a pet, they they have the grooming services and they've, you know, they've got their own vet chains. You know that that's a really really nice business. Pets at home. And so actually, when we think about it, it's it, the ones that have found their niche and then just really done it very well. Yeah. It, it, it's actually probably the same mantra as always: well-managed businesses that know their game will always do well. That's what it comes down to, isn't it? Again, end of the day, it's almost uh, too simple when you put it like that. And and perhaps some of us look for silver bullets. But actually, know your game, set yourself up, know your customer and what they want, and yes. then just manage it really, really well. 
and you'll, you'll yeah, always yeah, do okay. The other sector I think that's also going to resurge a little bit is it, our convenience stores. So you know the, the sort of the corner corner news agent, corner grocery shop, which um, you know again for a I think when I started work that was probably about twenty percent of the grocery sector. That's probably about you know two percent now. Um, so you know for decades they've been in decline, but um, you know they are also proving to be a, a lifeline and kind of booming at the moment. And, you know, I think they, they also are going to emerge as the sort of winners across the next, um, the next few months. And, yeah. You know, no, so, I agree with that. I yeah. agree with that. Um, I've got a newfound respect and thus loyalty to my, my local stores. Um, they've always had stock in, they've always been open. They've done it with a smile because I can't imagine it's easy or pleasant to go work in a place with lots of people out right now. Yeah. Um, my, my hats are off to them. Um, it would be remiss of me to not um, get a little bit of your background. I, 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 I don't think I realised at the time when we first met what you'd done with Dunhumby and Tesco. Because um, the more you think about it now, that was really something special, wasn't it? That, that club card piece of work is awesome. It's probably one of the best, if not the best, bits of database building and marketing that's ever existed certainly from a loyalty program it's the only one i'm still a member of 20 years later um from when i first went to uni and got my uh, got my very own club card for the first time same club card still by the way i mean the great the great good fortune from dunhumby's point of view was that um they they happened to be in the in 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 the right place when tesco were looking to launch a loyalty program and and from tesco's point of view the kind of great good fortune for, 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 for Tesco was that when they were thinking of launching a loyalty program, uh, they, they kind of bumped into, into Dunhumby because I think at the time they were testing the loyalty program in about 10 shops. You know, weren't sure whether, you know, they could see that it, to launch it was going to cost a lot of money and, you know, would it, would it ever repay itself, etc. And what Clive, Clive Humby did in, in a sort of two-month project um, was to show them that the data that would be generated as a byproduct could be very, very valuable. And, and you know, very famously, I think, um, Ian McLaurin, who was the CEO at the time, and Terry Lee, he then was the marketing director, um, you know, famously said, hey, these, you know, these guys have learned more in two months about our customers than we've learned in, in 20 years. And I think they then realized that um, um, the data would be very, very powerful. And so they launched the loyalty program and then it, you know, it just became a massive success literally overnight. And, you know, it's, it's hard to remember now, but, you know, the sun featured that on the front page. Um, it was just like a big story that Tesco were launching this, this loyalty program. And I think their sales jumped about sort of, you know, 5% um, almost straight away. And, and they then began to really pull away from, from Sainsbury's and, and, and then, you know, behind the scenes, Dunhumby were um, receiving the data from Tesco that the loyalty program was generating and showing that that could be used to create profiles of customers that could be used in a number of ways, obviously to send targeted offers um, and to redirect marketing spend, you know, much more effectively, but also that it could be used to influence uh, pricing strategies and promotion strategies and even where you put the stores and, and what ranges should go in in those stores 
And so, you know, all of those things in combination really contributed to Tesco kind of pulling away. I mean, I think at the time they were about 12, they had about 12% market share and they ended up with about 30, just over about 32. And they were the number two to Sainsbury's um, back in the, in the early nineties. And, you know, now they're more than twice the size or almost twice the size of Sainsbury's. So it's, it's, you know, it's incredible what they achieve and they attribute in to a large extent, um, the, you know, the loyalty program and, and the use of data behind it as one of the, the major reasons. And then the other thing that was, you know, that, that, um, that happened as a byproduct is they, they were able to open that up to their suppliers. So companies like Procter and Gamble and Unilever and Coke and Nestle, uh, you know, as well as small, um, you know, the egg suppliers and, um, you know, small and label suppliers. And, and then these companies found that marketing directly to Tesco shoppers through, through Clubcard uh, generated a return on their marketing spend that was, you know, five or six times what they would typically get. And uh, I spent a lot, I used to work at Procter & Gamble. I, I, I spent a lot, you know, a lot of time with, with, with P&G when I was at, at Dunhumby working with the Tesco data. And they, you know, they were, they probably still are the, the country's biggest advertiser. And so they were spending at the time, huge sums of money on database marketing to mothers with young kids because they, they owned Pampers and uh, they owned IAMS, the pet food brand. So, you know, they were big, big spenders on, on their own targeted and direct marketing. Well, they, they shut down their internal teams once they realized that the returns they could get working with the Tesco data were, were so, so much greater than they could, they could achieve themselves. And mm -hmm. so, so, that, so then Tesco then started to pick up, you know, literally hundreds of millions of incremental marketing spend going against their, their shoppers that was coming from, you know, these big consumer goods companies. So, the, you know, there's all of these things kind of working together, you know, really, really, you know, just, just really drove Tesco to um, substantially increase its, its market share. And then also contributed to them being able to launch additional services like, um, you know, like the banking business and insurance. And, uh, you know, I think they launched an energy, it, it won a tel telco business. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, it really, really had a, had a big impact and it was just, you know, it was, it was to my grateful good fortune to kind of being right time, right place, but all of that was, um, all of that was kicking off. But there's, um, the right time, right places, that's true of pretty much everything, isn't it? I suppose, but you, you've then got to be able to capitalize on it and that's what you guys did better than probably anyone else has. I don't think there's a finer example, to be honest, I, I, I would use you guys as the case study for that, um, as often. I think so. I mean, it was the first, you know, it actually wasn't the first. Safeway was the first, but um, Safeway, I think you remember Safeway, but they, um, um, you know, they, they beat Tesco to having a, a loyalty program, but they, they famously said that um, they, they found that, what was the quote? It was something like they, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't control the fire hose of data that was being generated. And mm. uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. But, uh, but the uh, the bit I also pull out of that is that Tesco realised doing it themselves, Procter and Gamble realised doing it themselves isn't always the best way. Um, I think there's a, there's really something important in partners and having an ecosystem of partners around you that you can tap into their expertise, and you become the 
the platform from which all of those different niches and specialities become a whole. Um, so many businesses I've, I've worked with, worked for, um, failed because they tried to do too much themselves and just sank under the weight of expectation versus lack of resource or capability or skill. Um, definitely sounds like partnerships and, and finding experts to work with. It's got to be. Yeah, a, Tesco were, were, I mean, Tesco were very loyal actually to their, I mean, they're very loyal to Dunhumby, but they're also very loyal to their ad agency and other marketing partners. So it was one of the things that, you know, kind of marked them out. They, they weren't one of these companies that, you know, every two years changed their agency partners. And I think that set them in, in good stead. Um, they also acquired a stake in, in Dunhumby also. And um, they nearly, and they, so now that you know, now they own a hundred percent of the business, and they almost sold it uh, a few years ago. Um, they they didn't in the end for various reasons, but it was um, the business was judged to be worth about a billion at that stage. Wow. So you know, and so not only did it have all of those benefits for their own, you know, their own their own business, but they they created an asset that um, was monetizable, and that, that's that's also another. Another part of the Dunhumby story, and, and one that holds true, I think, for a lot of companies, where you know you're generating data as the byproduct of your core business, um, but you can, um, you know, you can you can monetize that data as an asset and a set of services around it, you know, o- over and above your your core business, and you know, you're seeing seeing that in a, in a number. Of, I mean, if you you know, Experian actually is, an, is a great example of. Uh, I mean, experience, I think they're what sort of worth five or six billion now. That, that business was evolved out of the, as, out of great universal stores, you know, which is a, a home shopping catalog business. And it kind of mm. great, gave birth to this data business. And, um, you know, there's, there's other examples of, you know, Sky or, of, you know, monetize, finding a way to monetize their data. And I think it's, you know, it's an increasing trend that, you know, data, um, you know, as an asset, you know, as the byproduct of, of your core business, you know, thinking about different ways in which you can monetize that, I think it's a really interesting thing. Yeah. Which brings us neatly back full circle to kind of the stuff we're doing is that if you have that data and you can bring it to bear, you're almost always going to add more value than you would without it. Um, any engagement where there is insight behind that engagement should be more successful, more impactful, more meaningful, more personalized. Um, which, you know, that's, that's a core belief that we've got on a much smaller scale than Dunhumby at the moment, but um, it, it rings true. I mean, when, when did that start? That was in the 90s, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the Tesco Club Card launched in 1995. 1995, yeah. And yet it's still going, and it's still probably the best one. I'm sure others have got success. I, think, I guess it's define success. I think I think it probably isn't. I mean, I think, it, you know, I actually personally feel that it could have um, evolved better than it has, but, um, um, but yeah, it's, it's still, still going strong. And um, yeah. well, I really appreciate you taking the time out today. No problem. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Catch you again soon. All right. Yep. Bye for now. Yeah, bye.